Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, January 20th. I'm your host, Mike Meharian. Thanks for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, pop some popcorn, because the opening act is starting at the theater. I mean the political theater. It's going to be another epic dog and pony show. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. government ran up against the debt ceiling yesterday. So I'm going to talk a bit about this because this whole debt ceiling dog and pony show is really part of a bigger problem. The fact that the U.S. government can't and won't get its spending under control. And this has broader ramifications for the U.S. economy because these clowns in D.C. are cogs in the inflation creation machine. So this looming debt ceiling fight, no matter how contrived, actually reveals yet another reason that the Fed will never win its fight against inflation. But before I dig into the debt ceiling stuff, I want to touch on gold's performance this week. We saw some selling pressure early in the week and some consolidation, but I think it's significant that gold held above the $1,900 an ounce level. And then on yesterday, we saw a pretty significant rally. Gold closed up close to $30. This despite the weekly unemployment claims coming out far better than expected. Now, conventional wisdom has been that a tight labor market means the Fed will keep hiking interest rates. And stocks played along with this script. Yet again, they sold off on that news. Um, and in past months, gold would have done the same thing. But instead, gold rallied. Now, I think some of that was due to safe haven demand with this debt ceiling business, but I also think a lot of people in the mainstream honestly believe that the Fed is going to whip inflation with only a short, shallow recession. And therefore, in the not-too-distant future, we're going to see this Federal Reserve pivot back to looser monetary policy. In fact, Bank of America put out a very bullish note on gold this week, saying that gold will be a mainstay in portfolios over the next several years. It said, quote, The macro backdrop is turning bullish gold. Taking a longer-term perspective, our analysis also confirms that the yellow metal can be a potent portfolio diversifier. So what exactly is that macro backdrop that the uh, note is referring to? Well, Bank of America, head of U.S. economics, Michael, I think it's Gapin or it could be Gapin. Um, we'll go with Gapin. He said he anticipates a mild recession in 2023 and that easing inflation will allow the Federal Reserve to pivot away from its tight monetary policy. Quote, we anticipate the recession will be mild by historical standards, lasting two or three quarters before resolving by the end of the year. With inflation falling and unemployment rising, we think the Fed could begin to cut its policy rate beginning in 2023. So this is really echoing that kind of mainstream narrative that's out there that uh, the Fed's winning. It's working. We're going to get rid of in inflation. We're going to have a mild recession. And then the Fed's going to be able to go back to the status quo, which is loose monetary policy. Now, I agree that the Fed will probably ease later this year or maybe early next year, but not for the reasons the people in the mainstream like Bank of America do. I think it's going to surrender to inflation in order to rescue an economy that is plunging into a significant economic crisis. 
I don't think the recession will be short and shallow. I think it will be deep and protracted. But we're still going to have inflation. So we're talking about a stagflationary scenario here. As I've said many times, this economy is built on money printing and artificially low interest rates. That's the default that the economy depends on today. The Fed can't stray from that for very long without everything getting all wonky. One of my favorite analysts is Jim Grant, and he did an interview that I highlighted over at shiftgold.com slash news this week, and I'll, I'll this week, and I'll link to it in the show notes page. But he makes basically the same case that I'm making. He said, quote, certainly the slowing rate of the rise in inflation is to be celebrated. It's nice, but we are still left with a system that is inherently inflationary. Here in the United States, it's a system given to very free and loose public spending, given to great entitlements for one and all, and it's a system that has flourished in recent years with very low suppressed rates of interest. He went on to say, politically, inflation is kind of something for nothing, and that seems to be part of the political zeitgeist. That's why I would be a little bit guarded in pronouncing the end of this inflationary episode. So this kind of leads us into the whole debt ceiling thing, which really is a byproduct of the free and loose public spending that Grant alludes to. So the government banged up against the debt ceiling yesterday. Um, Going back December 16th of 2021, a law went into effect setting the new debt limit at $31.381 trillion. Once the government hits that debt level, which it did yesterday, it can no longer sell treasuries or other debt instruments to fund its spending. So in effect, it simply means that the government can't borrow any more money. Needless to say, having your line of credit cut off is a bit of a problem when you are spending at a half a trillion dollar per month clip. And that's exactly what the U.S. government is doing. Now, of course, there's a catch to all of this. It doesn't mean that the government is simply going to shut down today. The Treasury Department can implement what it calls extraordinary measures in order to continue funding government operations. According to a letter Yellen sent to Congress, the Treasury Department will redeem existing investments and suspend future investments in the Civil Service Retirement Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund. It will also suspend investment in a federal employee retirement system savings plan. According to Yellen, these moves and others will reduce the amount of outstanding debt subject to the limit and temporarily provide extra capacity for Treasury to continue financing operations of the federal government. So, what does all that gobbledygook mean? Basically, Yellen's just saying that the government can play accounting games and it can shuffle money around uh, and then keep on plodding along as it is, at least for a while. Now, it's not clear exactly how long the government can continue operating using these quote-unquote extraordinary measures. Most analysts estimate it will give Congress until sometime in June, depending on how much revenue the IRS collects this spring. So in other words, you should be prepared to enjoy about six months of debt ceiling drama, political theater, dog and pony show extraordinaire. So let me give you a little bit of background on the debt ceiling. Uh, I think most of us are aware that there is a debt ceiling, and we also know that periodically we have these debt ceiling fights 
Um, the saga is nothing new. But when did this all start? Well, actually, Congress imposed the first debt ceiling all the way back in 1917. The Second Liberty Bond Act capped debt at $11.5 billion. Isn't that cute? $11.5 billion. That was the original debt ceiling. Now, this was intended to put some kind of restraint on government borrowing. Of course, it didn't. Because every time the debt approaches the ceiling, Congress simply raises it. Get this, between 1962 and 2011, lawmakers jacked up the debt limit 74 times. Not much of a limit, is it? Uh, in 2013, that kind of goes back to the, the, the modern day saga, uh, Congress came up with a new trick. Instead of raising the debt ceiling, it just suspended it. In 2014, Congress set the debt limit with a built-in auto-adjust. That was convenient. The auto-adjust ended in 2015 with the debt ceiling set at $18.1 trillion. Now, that's actually kind of cute looking at the debt we have today, right? So after that, the Congress simply suspended the debt ceiling three times. After Congress set the current debt ceiling in December 2021, so you'll remember we had this debt ceiling fight in the fall of 2021, it took just 46 days for Uncle Sam to dig itself another $1 trillion in the hole. Yes, the U.S. government borrowed a trillion dollars in 46 days. That pushed the national debt above the $30 trillion mark. Less than one year later, in October of 2022, so just a few months ago in the fall, the national debt pushed above $31 trillion. And of course, that set the stage for um, another sequel to Debt Ceiling Wars 1 through 70-something. Now, you do realize that this really is just a dog and pony show, right? Despite all of the breathless talking heads and panic looks and, oh my gosh, what if we default? There really is no drama here. We know how it will end. Congress will raise the debt limit. It's going to posture. It's going to bluster. It'll play a dramatic game of chicken. Ooh, we might even have to endure another government shutdown. But when it's all said and done, Republicans and Democrats will reach some kind of compromise they will not leave the current debt ceiling in place. They will raise it. If they did leave it in place, it would mean default, something that nobody is seriously willing to contemplate. So as we go through the next several months and you hear all this rhetoric, just remember, you know how this movie ends. The dog and the pony ride off into the sunset. The debt ceiling gets raised and we all live happily ever after uh, burying ourselves in more debt until the next debt ceiling saga, whenever that may be. Now, here's the thing. In an honest world, the U.S. would just go ahead and default. There is no way the federal government will ever pay off a $31 trillion plus dollar debt. And it's important to remember that this doesn't really even include unfunded liabilities, right? If you were doing corporate accounting, you would actually have to account for um, commitments that have been made that aren't actually on the books yet. Uh, so Social Security, Medicare, when you include that in the national debt, you're way over $100 trillion. Some analysts say we're approaching $200 trillion. So I can confidently say 
This government's not going to pay off a $31 trillion debt, much less a $200 trillion debt, right? So it's important to understand that this reoccurring political theater is really part of a deeper problem. The U.S. government can't stop spending money. The great anti-federalist writer Brutus said, I can scarcely contemplate a greater calamity that could befall this country than to be loaded with a debt exceeding their ability to ever discharge. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that calamity is upon us. This government can't even get its budget deficits under control, much less start trying to tackle the national debt. So, some people might not know the nuance, the difference. Sometimes I think budget deficit and national debt kind of get used interchangeably. The national debt is the total amount that the U.S. government owes. The budget deficit is how much spending is above the actual revenue that's brought in from the federal government. So you have tax revenue coming in, you have spending going out, the amount of money uh, the amount of spending that's over the amount of revenue, that's your budget deficit. The budget deficit is added to the national debt. We run budget deficits month after month after month, and, and they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, you'll hear Joe Biden out there saying, oh, we've shrank the budget deficit. B.S. Yeah, it has shrunk over the last couple of years because we've gotten out of all of the crazy, extraordinary spending that they did for the pandemic. But the ugly truth is they're still spending money for the pandemic. They keep raising budget amounts. They keep passing new spending bills. They keep handing out money to Ukraine and everything else on the planet. There is no real attempt to rein in spending. That's the real problem here. Any talk of spending cuts by anybody, uh, and, and that includes the Republicans, is nothing but window dressing. Never forget, the GOP had ample opportunity to slash spending during the first two years of the Trump administration when it controlled the White House and both houses of Congress. Instead, it ramped up spending and ran massive deficits. In fact, the deficits during the Trump administration were in the same ballpark as the deficits Obama ran after the financial crisis. Now, Obama at least had the Great Recession as an excuse. Trump ran huge deficits while claiming it was the greatest economy in history. And yes, the pandemic certainly exacerbated the deficits, but never forget also that Trump signed off on all of that deficit spending during the pandemic, and it was running those Obama-like deficits before the pandemic. So you can't use the pandemic as an excuse. So basically what I'm getting at, I'm not trying to, to just dump on the Republicans, I'm saying that the spending problem is a bipartisan problem. You can't just point your fingers at the Democrats and say, oh, it's all their fault. And you can't point your fingers at the Republicans and say it's all their fault. And you also can't tell me that the Republicans are really trying hard to fix the problem because they're not. And here's the thing. We could avoid the whole debt ceiling thing simply by cutting spending. If the government didn't have to borrow, the debt ceiling would be a moot question, right? We could have a modest debt ceiling, and the government could borrow when it needs to, you know, in certain situations, and then pay the debt off when it has a little extra money. But this, like running the government in a sane way, would require substantial spending cuts. And that won't happen because everybody expects the government to hand them stuff. Spending cuts aren't politically viable. It's the solution, but it's not politically viable. 
spending money is the source of politicians' power. So until the whole system falls apart, they're going to keep spending money. They're going to keep kicking the can down the road. They're going to keep pretending that it doesn't matter. They're going to keep raising debt ceiling. They're going to keep borrowing. And so that's a big problem. You know, James Madison, he called the national debt a national curse. Keep that in mind as this debt ceiling political theater plays out, because that's really at the core of the issue. What both houses of Congress are going to tell you, not in words, but in the actions that they take, is that they have to add more debt. They have to pile on more debt. They have to borrow more. You know, Peter Schiff made a good point in a tweet this week. He said, this whole thing reveals an ugly truth, that the U.S. government is running a massive Ponzi scheme. You know, Yellen has been warning that the only way to avoid default is to raise the debt limit. It has to borrow more money just to repay the existing lenders. That's a textbook Ponzi scheme, right? So here's the question. Given that the debt ceiling has never meaningfully restrained borrowing or spending, why doesn't Congress just scrap it all together? I mean, there's nothing that says we have to have a debt ceiling, right? Why not do away with the pretense? I think there are two reasons. First, doing away with the debt ceiling would expose America's fiscal irresponsibility to the world. We all know the federal government has a spending problem, right? But the debt ceiling creates the illusion of responsibility. Hey, we have a debt ceiling. We have a limit. It's like a magic trick. We all know it's not really magic. It's an illusion created by the magician. But we like to believe it's magic. It makes us feel good. The debt ceiling is an illusion that allows Americans to feel like their representatives are acting responsibly. Second, the debt ceiling is ready-made for political theater, and there is nothing politicians love more than a good dog and pony show. Now, Republicans and Democrats are already jockeying for position in this debt ceiling fight. Republican leadership is demanding spending cuts before it will consider lifting the ceiling. A week ago, the weirdo White House press secretary said, we will not be doing any negotiation." And then Speaker of the House, Kevin uh, McCarthy, he responded saying, I think it's arrogance to say, oh, we're not going to negotiate about anything, especially when it comes to funding. If anyone had a child and their credit card kept hitting the limit, you'd want to change the behavior. Yeah, Kevin, you know, you could have done that when Trump was in office, when you had control of everything, but you didn't, did you? Now, McCarthy's right. The problem is he's just upset because Biden's kids have the credit card. If Republican kids had the credit card, he'd be making excuses about why we need to borrow and spend more. Meanwhile, Yellen is ratcheting up the scare tactics. She warned that a failure to raise the debt ceiling would have dire consequences. Quote, failure to meet government's obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, the livelihoods of all Americans, and global financial stability. Now, she's right too. And that's exactly why I can confidently tell you that they'll raise the debt ceiling. In the meantime, brace yourself for hot political rhetoric and a lot of finger pointing across the political aisle. 
We may even get another mythical government shutdown. You remember that? We had one in in 2013. But, you know, trust me, they're not going to shut down any of the important things or any of the things I'd like them to shut down. You know, the NSA is going to keep spying on you. The IRS will certainly continue to collect taxes from you. The wars will rage on, and members of Congress will continue to collect their paychecks. There is always money available for the things the government really wants to do. And the debt ceiling debate is just political theater on a Broadway level. You know, I remember the uh, 2013 uh, government shutdown. They closed the outside. They they literally put up cones and roadblocks so you couldn't go up and look at Mount Rushmore. That saved a lot of money, right? Or uh, they were talking about how uh, just government agencies couldn't even update their websites. And, you know, one of them was like, hadn't been updated in two years anyway. So, again, it's window dressing. It's a dog and pony show. It's political theater. And quite frankly, it's all kind of silly. But as I've already pointed out, it does underscore a bigger problem, and it reveals why you aren't going to get inflation relief. The moment the debt ceiling rises, the U.S. Treasury will go right back to selling bonds, borrowing trillions of dollars. You know, they get behind, so they have to borrow a whole bunch at once. That's why we managed to add a trillion dollars to the national debt in 46 days after the uh, last time the debt ceiling was raised. And that means that at some point, the U.S. government is going to need the Federal Reserve to get back into the bond-buying game because there's not enough demand for all of this debt at an interest rate the government can actually afford, not in the actual market. So that's one of the reasons the Fed does quantitative easing. It puts its big fat thumb on the bond market. It suppresses the interest rate. The Fed is the engine that powers the U.S. government borrowing and spending. So It needs the Fed. The U.S. government needs the Fed. Now, the Fed's going to tell you, oh, we're independent. We don't worry about such things. We're just doing our monetary policy. That's a bunch of BS. The Federal Reserve isn't really a bank. It's a political institution that does the whims of Congress and the federal government. So they can tell you all this stuff about political independence and all of that BS. It is nothing but BS. I'll link to an article in the show notes page about the reality of what the Fed is. Um, But, you know, the bottom line is the government needs this Federal Reserve engine. It can't function without it. And since the central bank creates money out of thin air to buy these bonds, quantitative easing is money creation, it's inherently inflationary. So I've talked about this on several shows. Even the Fed admits that it can't really rein in inflation with monetary policy alone. Rate cuts aren't enough. It needs government spending cuts. It needs fiscal responsibility in order to really get inflation under control. That's why they want 2%. You know, they pulled that number out of there, but that's why they want inflation to be a perpetual part of the system to begin with. It has to exist in order for the U.S. government to borrow and spend. So political theater is good for diverting people's attention away from this actual problem. As this all plays out, keep your eye on the ball. You know, as I I think about it, there's a certain inevitability to all this. Now, a lot of times when I talk about the national debt, 
when I talk about government spending. People will say, well, well, Mike, you know, people have been worried about the national debt for decades. You know, I remember back in, in the Reagan years, they were worried about the national debt. Now there's a lot more national debt, and really it's been no problem. Nothing has happened. Well, first off, it has been a problem, and stuff has happened. Uh, you've been paying for it at the grocery store and at the gas station for the last year. So you can't really say nothing has happened. But I will grant you that we haven't had the collapse that a lot of people predicted uh, that we'd get, you know, as, as we ran up more and more debt. Here's the thing. You can kick the can down the road for a long time. It, I mean, it really depends on how long the road is, right? And we don't know how long this road is. But I do know this, the road has an end. And when you kick the can down the road and get to the end of the road, that's a big problem. You have to ask yourself the question, then what? What happens when we hit that tipping point, when the Ponzi scheme starts to collapse, when the markets say, we don't want any of your debt, what's the Federal Reserve going to do? Buy all of it? I don't know how it's going to play out in micro terms, right? I don't know exactly what the crisis is going to be, how it's going to look, how it's going to unfold. But I do know there's going to be a crisis. Things that can't go on forever don't. And borrowing and spending can't go on forever. Ponzi schemes can't go on forever. Economic unsustainability can't go on forever. So you want to be prepared. And as I say at the end of every show, one way that you can prepare is consider precious metals in your investment portfolio. And a good way to learn about that, to take steps in that direction, is talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160 or email info at shiftgold.com or go to uh, shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can chat with the precious metal specialist right there. But these guys will help you. They'll look at your investment strategy. Um, they'll answer questions about kind of the macro environment and, and what they see coming down the road. And they'll help you consider whether gold and silver are good investments for you and how they might fit into your personal strategy, your investment portfolio. So talk to them today. Can't hurt. Worst case scenario, you're out a little bit of time. So do that today. With that, I'm going to call that a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories that I've talked about today and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. There are links to all of these things on the show notes page at shiftgold.com slash news. You can email me, mmaharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from folks. Uh, get some good ideas and, and some good feedback from people, and I definitely appreciate that. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.